everybody, and welcome to Manga Mavericks at Movies, the only movie podcast where we don't release the podcast for over a year and a half after recording them. But the year of 2018 is dwindling down, and I still have podcasts from 2017 I need to release to you good people. Podcasts re-recorded as far back as last May, May of 2017. So it's time that I finally give them to you. Especially since so many of these podcasts to start off with I already released on the YouTube channel of Manga Mavericks as part of Manga Mavericks at Movies Month. So I might as well just finally release these and we're going to start off here with a triple threat, folks. Because we have three movies from 2017 that all have one thing in common. Can you guess what it is, folks? That's right. It's that they're all about British people. Wow, what a great connection to string together these movies, huh? That's right. We have three movie reviews in this episode. We've got Dunkirk from Christopher Nolan. The acclaimed film that got best sound design in the Oscars, even though Baby Driver should have. We've got Kingsman, The Golden Circle, the controversial sequel to Kingsman. Uh, the, I forget what the title of the first Kingsman was, but the controversial sequel to that film. People didn't like it as much, but we, Lord and I, might have had alternative opinions. And finally, we've got Victoria and Abdul, which is a story about how Queen Victoria had a friendship with this Indian guy. And we, Lord and I, as People of Indian heritage had words for this movie, for sure. So, that's on the docket for today, folks. We're starting off October 1st, right? We're bringing back At Movies for episode 18. You're gonna listen to a bunch of reviews of British-related movies from 2017. It's gonna be a good time, and without further ado, onwards to the show. to Manga Mavericks at Movies, the show where we talk smack about movies. That's the catchphrase that we've been rolling with for God knows how many episodes now. I feel that we've been stranded, locked in place, waiting for rescue from this catchphrase that we have no <laughs> recluse from. So like, the catchphrase is like a curse or something? Let's say we're on a, the battlefield, right? The battlefield. We're fighting the war for great podcasting. And the catchphrase is like the bullet. Well, no, it's like the ship. The ship that will let us, set, let us set sail to great stardom. But because it is such a weak catchphrase, 
the ship sinks. It's the whole podcast is sinking down into the sea. So we keep having to wash ashore on the beach and wait, wait until we get the inspiration for a better catchphrase that will let us set sail out to sea and back home to the land of great podcasts that achieve widespread popularity and critical acclaim. Okay. That's my terrible analogy to tie this into Dunkirk, the movie we just watched. <laughs> the movie that, unfortunately, we did not see in IMAX like everyone had suggested. Though, I don't know if that would have made a big difference in improving our experience based on your mixed reaction to the film, we Lord. I don't know, it's not really a mixed reaction. Like, I, I enjoyed the film. Did like, you? Yeah, I did. It was a good film. But I, you weren't very impressed, were you? I don't know. I mean, it looked nice and, like, yeah. It just wasn't, like, mind-blowing or anything. That's true. Dunkirk is the latest film from Christopher Nolan, a man known for making very stylish-looking films. So his last film that we and saw... And Interstellar, which is shit. Speaking of, of Interstellar, this movie shares the same cinematographer as Interstellar, Huit Juan Huitama. Okay, it looks it looks better than Interstellar at the very least. It looks just as good as Interstellar. Interstellar <laughs> might have looked better. Interstellar's problem was not that the, it didn't look good. Interstellar's problem was that the script was bloated. The power so, of love, Sid. Let's make a movie based around science and then justify everything at the end by love. Yes, Interstellar was a very dumb movie that was trying to pretend that it was smart, but it failed. And it made not. me angry. I remember in my last year of high school, my math teacher started arguing with the kids in his class about how idiotic Interstellar was. Was he on the side of Interstellar? Or no, Interstellar? no, he 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 didn't really care for Interstellar because everyone praises Interstellar for oh having all this like super smart science and stuff, and he's like a PhD, mm-hmm. in, like both math and science. He's like, yeah, this film was dumb. Yes. But Christopher Nolan and Mr. Hoytema teamed up again for Dunkirk, and they made a damn fine movie. This is much different from what we've come to expect from Nolan over the years of the Dark Knight trilogy, Interstellar Inception. This was much more grounded. It's based on the true story, the evacuation of Dunkirk after the Battle of Dunkirk in 1940. And... It is a war movie, and all that that entails. You're getting a big cast of characters, multiple perspectives. People are dying left and right. It is tense the entire way through, which you're wondering, will these people survive? Now, admittedly, if you know history, you know that some people did survive, but you don't know which people, because these characters are effectively fictional, so you don't know which of these fictional characters are going to make it out alive. And that is where the strength of this movie lies, in the suspense. Will this character die at any moment? You don't know. But that's also where the fault of this movie lies in the characters. Because quite frankly, I can't remember a single one's name except for George's. And George was useless. George was very sad. He was a brave young kid who wanted to help. But unfortunately, he gets knocked out with a severe head injury. He gets like, he gets like some sort of head injury from like, uh, from a pilot who's suffering, like, severe PTSD and, like, pretty much... Well, we don't know if he's a pilot, but it is a soldier who suffered severe well, PTSD. Well, he was, he, he was on a sinking 
I don't think that was a ship. That was a boat. Was it a boat? No, yeah, that wasn't a plane. That was a plane. No, it wasn't a plane. At least it oh, didn't. Okay. Not from what I remember. They do pick up a pilot later on who is way more put together. Yeah. And that's one of the most intense scenes, too, just talking about. See, what is really good about this movie is that it's great at crafting these scenes of suspense, and that is one of them. Like, this pilot crashes down into the sea, and his boat plane starts flooding, and he can't get out the hatch. It's, like, jammed. And so he's just trying to break it open, but he can't do it, and he submerges. And you're all this time, you're wondering, oh my god, the boat with these other characters is in the distance. They're rushing towards him, trying to get to him in time. Will they make it? And when... They make it. Yes, they make it just in the nick of time, but the movie fools you into thinking that, oh no, they didn't make it, he's gonna die, but he survives, and that's a real fist bumping, yeah, moment, as well as the climax of the movie, when that one pilot, who's throughout the entire movie, is like a ticking time bomb, he doesn't know when he's gonna go down, because his fuel gauge... It's been cracked. He doesn't know how much fuel he has left. All of his comrades are getting knocked down left and right. He's totally alone out there. But at the end of the day, against all odds, he shites down the enemy planes and helps secure the evacuation of everyone from the beaches. And it's a yeah moment. And then he gets captured behind enemy lines. And that's sad. But it's still a yeah fist pumping go there moment. Uh, this movie isn't very uh, nationalist if you're an American, but I bet if you're a British guy watching this movie, you're gonna go get yeah! Yeah! And if you're a French person, you're probably gonna be offended. No, 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 no. Actually, if you're a British guy, you're going to be go- going jolly good! Jolly good! And if you're French, you're gonna be going oh uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. I don't know, like, the tre- the treatment of, like, French people in this film was pretty bad. It's pretty interesting. You don't yeah. see this, like, tension between allied forces in these war movies. Especially this kind of racism between different yeah. countries. Which is which is definitely realistic, because it's there. It, it totally realistic. Yeah. It's very much us versus them. We're going to help our guys get home. And these Frenchies... Whatever, who cares about like, that? Like, my big problem with that, though, is that the one big, like, the one main French guy in this film, he gets killed. Yeah, it's like, sad. It's, it, there's no, like, there's no message like, oh, wait, they should all be together. It's like, yeah, front, fuck the French guy. We don't care about him. We're just going to drown him. Well, everyone else dies, too, because they were against the French guy. Because none of them could work together, all of them died, except for the one guy who was who stood up for the French guy. But all the other guys died. No, there was one other guy. There was... Wasn't he, like, left behind then? No. Like, you remember when they're on, like, the train? There's that one guy that's sitting in front of him. Mm-hmm. Who's, like, good, like, guy the kids getting the beers and the newspaper. That's, that was the guy that he met on the ship. And what did that guy do? That guy wanted to kill the French guy. Okay, yeah, so that, there's mixed messages there. Sorry. At least, I'm pretty sure it was the same guy. This, this is another problem I have with the film, is that the ground soldiers all look the fucking same. Yeah, quite honestly, I couldn't really tell a lot of people apart in this movie, at least the soldiers. Yeah, like, the other 
the other characters I feel like I can identify. At least like, the characters on like, the boat. On the, the characters on boat. the the characters on the civilian boat, and then even the pilots I can like sort of identify. But like the soldiers, they just look so same face. It doesn't help that a lot of time they're like faces are masked by either like mud, oil, yeah. or just like dark lighting. So it's like okay. I'm supposed to be able to tell you guys apart when you all have, like, black hair and very similar haircuts. Well, it makes sense. That's pretty realistic. The yeah. problem from the bigger problem, I would say, is just that the soldiers don't have our distinct personalities. That's the thing. Like, if you're going to have them look that way, make sure they're, like, actually distinct enough personality-wise. Like, yeah. So like, that's the thing. Like, I, I feel like you can't really identify like a single character's like whole mentality during this film from the ground soldiers I mean like, yeah he, he, like even like the main one that we focus on I don't even know his name I they, don't know his name though. did they even give him a name I'm sure they did I just don't know his name yeah like I don't know like aside from like wanting to help the French dude who just dies in the end like yeah was there really anything? Like, I don't know. That's true. But a lot of people are calling this Nolan's best film to date, as well as one of the greatest war films ever made, just due to its portrayal of this event. I mean, it's very accurate, so yeah, I can see well, that. Well, we don't know if it's very accurate. Maybe it's very accurate, but it's just the way it handles this kind of yeah, story. Yeah, I mean, it's, an, it's a good, solid take, though. Like, it, it shows the whole kind of, like, nationalist divide even between the Allies, and then it's just, like, also it's just a very, like, nationalist film. Like, it's kind of the British coming together to help each other. Yeah. So, again, you get those fist-pumping moments. You know, from the audience that we saw it with, and we didn't bother talking about our audience experience because it wasn't really that impressive. You know, we saw this movie a month after it debuted, so there weren't a whole lot of people there. And all, but at the end of the movie, you know, there weren't anybody going at, yeah, there no, no applauses, no like fist pumps. And I think that's just because, you know, there is no American side to this. There, like, for American audiences, like, we can't, like, a lot of people aren't gonna really, like, get into the British nationalism. Honestly, I think a lot of you, you, are going to see the film now, or just looking at, like, the Rotten Tomatoes score and thinking, oh, hey, I'm gonna like this, yeah. Again, it's critically acclaimed. Yeah, but I think, like, your average normie American is not gonna care for this movie, I feel. I think they'll say, this was enjoyable, it was very well made, but it didn't grab at my heart. Yeah, because for the average normie American, they don't really, I guess... I don't know, they, they don't... For these types of films that are very much, I guess... It, it's very clear this feels like a, a film for British audiences. I don't know if it was necessarily well, no, not, just for them. Not just for them, but it's very much a film that would resonate more with the British audience. I would probably so like, agree with so that. So, like, your average American consumer or film goer or what have you is not gonna be thinking from that perspective. Yeah, I mean, the heart of the movie just came from the characters on the boat. Like, those were the most interesting characters and the characters we connected with the most because they had, like, the most personality, the most development of their relationships. But everyone else, like, 
I mean, the pilot who was in dire straits the entire film, I also cared about him just because the situation just kept getting yeah. worse and worse. But yeah, the soldiers were easily the weakest part because they wanted to survive. Like, everyone in this movie just wants to survive. But, like, the soldiers, like, they look the same and they just didn't have much. I also around. feel like the soldier scenes feel like they drag on too long. That's probably because they aren't the most interesting. Again, the characters on the boat are the most interesting. The tension of whether that guy they picked up is going to, like, screw them over, which ultimately boils over, and then it becomes a desperation of, like, oh, no, is George going to die? What's going to happen to George? Are they going to make it to Dunkirk and make it back to Britain okay? And, you know, so that's where the real tension is. And then also, you know, with the pilot, like, is the pilot going to make it out okay? Because he doesn't know. He's like a ticking clock, and he doesn't know when that clock is going to take its last. Like, I mean, moving away from uh, the ground soldiers, I guess, and going to, like, the citizens on the boat, like, George specifically, like, I think you could take him out of this film, and it kind of doesn't really change anything. Okay, I completely disagree, because he was the heart. Oh no, like he was a kid who was trying to do good. Ultimately, he might not have been able to contribute much, but his he heart was in the right place. He contribute anything though. He contributes the emotional center of this film. <laughs> the character's relationship to George is the heart of the film. Okay, that, that that's that I like, but like George himself didn't do anything. He's just like Okay, like, I, I, get, I get what you're saying, Sid. I get what you're saying. But, like, I feel like his death would have more impact if he actually did more. That is fair. I think it is very... But his death is very realistic, and it's very tragic that, you know, he died. Yeah. He wanted to really be a hero, but he wasn't able to. But in the at, end, at like, the, he got a... In the end, he just tribute. gets whacked in the head, and then, like... Near the end of the film, they just ran him and say, oh yeah, he's dead. And they're just like, okay. But at the end, then, they run a tribute piece for him in the newspaper. Local boy was a hero at Dunkirk. Except, like, sweet. what did he do? He he wasn't there when they saved the majority of the soldiers. But he died, like, after they saved that first person. But he helped save that the first person. Yeah, who killed him. Yeah, but he was still a hero because he did that. He volunteered to go on this trip. Yeah, I don't know, like... He's an example of civilians doing their best to help out. Except those other civilians, there were far better characters. Yeah, and they're great characters. I don't know why you're complaining about them. No, they're good. They're the good characters. I just don't give a shit about George. (gasps) That's fine. I don't know, if you're gonna kill off that guy, just, like, make it, like, later in the film, he actually does something. Like, he dies, like, well, he gets injured, like, within the first, like, third of the film. Mm-hmm. So it's like, he he's not there for the majority of the film, he's just kinda in a coma thing, and then we learn he's dead. He was in so much pain, me lord. I don't know. Like, he was in just as much pain as Kiritsuka, we lord. Except Kiritsuka's a good character. He was in just as much pain as Bruno Bucciolati, we lord. You keep comparing it to characters with actual <laughs> development? Well, this George character has, like, zero development. Okay, sure. <laughs> I, I disagree as zero development. Okay, not uh, zero development, but very little development. Fine. 
But the captain, he was cool. Like, he was a good yeah. guy who strove to save people, even when his son is telling him, hey, that guy didn't, uh, the pilot guy that crashed in the water, he didn't open his parachute. He's probably dead. And that guy, and you know, the captain is like, snaps and he says to his son, you know what? Maybe he's alive. Maybe I just want to help him. You know? He's yeah. a good person who's trying his damnedest to help out. And we learn later at the end of the film that, you know, his son fought in the world and war and died in the first three weeks, and that's sad. But it also explains his motivation, why he wants to help the war effort and wants to help, you know, the Allied forces win, you know, for the sake of his son. So his son's sacrifice wasn't meaningless, but also because he sees a lot of his son in the young, in the young men fighting on the battlefield. So it's like really cool character there. But I can tell yeah. you're not interested since you're looking on your phone. No, I was checking to make sure the French guy is the one who died in the film. And yeah, it was the French guy. Okay, sure. Yeah. I don't know, like, I, I I agree with what you said. Like, I just don't care about George specifically. Okay, fine. George is the new Zushi, huh? No, no, Zushi's a meme. George is not going to be a meme. He's just... I'm going to make it a meme. We're going to make George a meme. No. Eh, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I, don't, I don't care. George was an important character, V-Lord. George is the greatest character in cinematic history, V-Lord. Okay. I'm going to compare every... Sushi does way more than George. I'm going to compare every character okay, ever okay, now see, to George. See, name, name one thing George did besides save that guy. He died. He went blind. He was in so much pain. He's such a tragic character. Oh One of the most tragic He has like fucking five lines, Sid. He has more than five lines. <laughs> he had all the lines. All the lines in this movie, the majority of them, they belong to him. He talked the most. He got the most character development. No, he didn't. <laughs> The fucking, the, the father and the son, like, talk way more. And in fact, they helped, they helped George save that guy. George didn't even do that by himself. That's because he knew the value of friendship. He knew. No, no, that. that's just, that's just dumb. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. If, if part of me just thinks, like, Nolan killed off George just for the sake of killing someone off. I'm pretty sure this was based on some real event, actually. Okay, in that case, just, like, actually develop George. Sure. But George was the best character. He wasn't. He is the best character in movie history. The best character was either the pilot, who was, like, slowly running out of gas, or the father. Between those two, I would go with the father. But none yeah. of them will hand out to George. <laughs> so do you think this is Christopher Nolan's best film or the, one of the greatest war movies ever made, Lord? I mean, this is the thing. I haven't seen enough war movies to say it's the greatest war movie. It was a good war movie, but I don't know, like... Would you uh, say it's Christopher Nolan's best movie? Probably not. And what was his best movie, Interstellar? No, that's his, like, fucking worst movie. The Dark Knight Rises? No. <laughs> oh, don't make me remember that movie. <laughs> Why do you hate The Dark Knight Rises? I don't hate The Dark Knight Rises, but it's not, like, that good. Okay. 
don't know. I think his best movie is probably still Inception, and even then, his Inception's not fantastic. Well, the wrong answer, Warren, because the right answer was Memento. You failed. I've never watched Memento. Why are you so uneducated in film, Warren? Because I'm not a film student. Well, that needs to change. You need to, like, marathon all of the most important films ever. Have you watched all the important films that everyone talks about before? Have you? (laughs) I don't know what films those are. Okay, have you seen Citizen Kane or Casablanca? (laughs) No, have you? Yes. Uh, Yeah, I haven't seen those. I have so many films I need to see. You are just so uneducated in films. Mm. Why are you my co-host? Because I'm the easiest co-host there is. That is true. One last thing that I want to mention. I really enjoyed how there were three perspectives in this movie. From the land, from the sea, and from the air. Wasn't that cool? By land, by sea, and by air. And it was really cool when all those different perspectives intersected too. Yeah, that was definitely cool. Like, I feel this film has a lot of good ideas. It doesn't execute all of them well, but when it does do it well, it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. That's true. Yeah, I think this was a enjoyable movie, but I'm going to agree with Weaverwood that it was not one of the better movies that I've seen in terms of, like, eliciting an emotional reaction from me. Yeah. I don't know if I would say this is one of my favorite films of the year. It probably will not make my year-end list. Probably, yeah, same year. Now, the film that we saw yesterday, that might. Well, you're going to confuse the listeners, because who knows what time I'm going to release this episode, Relord. Who knows? The dates for everything are messed up now anyway, since you released Death Note before, like, the 20 before it. Yeah. I wonder if the audience will be able to piece together the rich, like, chronology of these podcasts. Can well, you, they can audience, probably... Can you determine the order we record these? They can probably figure it out by the fact that we usually record these after we go see it in theaters. Yeah, so but we saw pretty, this, like, way know. later than when it debuted in theaters. That is a good point. So, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, so that's uh, that's on you, audience, to figure it out. We want you to see if you can piece together the narrative of movie, manga Mavericks at movies. The Mavericks at movies cinematic timeline. Yes. We're telling the story out of order. Like, what's a movie that tells the story out of order? I know, film series that tell the story out of order. I mean, like... You have one scene in one place, and then you have another scene that's at a different point of time. I mean, like it's, like a film that does that. Yes, a film that does that. You know, the like uh, one thing that comes to mind is Memento, but Memento is like more straightforward. It's like you start at the final scene and then you work your way back to the beginning. But like didn't this, Car- is, didn't uh, Garden of Sinners Five do that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Garden of Sinners Five Paradox Spiral. That's what. Among the Mavericks, that movie is. We're Garden of Sinners 5, we lord. That's how you should enjoy this podcast series, I guess. 
But why, why can't garden of centers be legally available in the, in the U.S.? Fuck uh, you and Plex. Well, I don't know, but let man. me buy it. I'll buy it. Just let me buy it. Now that's a movie I'd love to podcast about on this show at some point. Yeah. Hopefully, we'll see be able to see it in the theaters one of these days. Nah, any any Plex USA hates our state. They do. Why didn't you give us Kizumonogatari, goddammit? Yeah. Kizumonogatari is, is fucking amazing. I would have paid money for it at Eplex. Let me buy it. Aside from, like, fucking paying 70 plus dollars for your fucking Blu-rays. Was Kizumonogatari better than Dunkirk V-Lord? Oh, God, yeah. Well, well, which one do you mean? What do you mean? All of them. Oh, all of them? Yeah, all of them. T- all of them, like, yeah. Fantastic. Way better than Dunkirk. Was it better than the other animated movies that came out this summer, V-Lord? It might be. Really? Better than the Emoji movie, V-Lord? Better than Cars 3, V-Lord? Sid, if you compare the fight scenes from Kizu 2 and 3 to fucking Emoji Movie, Emoji Movie looks like a tiny piece of turd that I fucking fed to... I don't know... Some some random cat on the street, and then pissed on the cat, and then threw it at like I don't know something that eats cats. <laughs> you you feed cats thirds and pee on them, and then throw them to the dogs who then eat them. I don't know. I mean, I probably should get. It's a psychopath. I mean, I don't think I could probably do that. Since I'm allergic to cats, and being close to cats would probably be bad. But that's why you do that to get revenge on cats. I don't hate cats, though. I like cats. I just can't be near them. Hmm. This is very suspicious. V Lord GTC is a cat killer, and <laughs> your cat dies. And there are strange circumstances, like shit in its belly, and pee stains on its fur, and claw and teeth marks on its skin. It's because V Lord GTC killed them. Probably not. No, I don't know. It's it. You were. A German, weren't you? You were one of the enemy pilots that were shooting down ships at Dunkirk. They didn't you were one of the greatest. Who knows? They might have. They might have killed everyone in that city. That's why it was deserted. Maybe the cats ran away. Maybe. We and do, maybe we they a, don't have shit in their bellies. We need a remake of this movie with cats. And then you are so Cat Kirk. That is like a nonsensical pun. I don't know. Obviously, it would be Don Cat Baka. (laughs) Anyway, the fact that we're going off on tangents kind of shows how little we kind of were enthusiastic about this movie. Sorry, folks. I, uh, it was enjoyable enough, but... It's a good movie. Go watch it. Go watch it. I, I just don't think it's mind-blowing. For the, yeah. for the like, score it has on a lot of, like, critic sites, I don't know. It is really beautiful looking. Cinematography is yeah, really like, damn good. Cinematography is fantastic, but the narrative, I don't know. Yeah. Well, that does it for Dunkirk. I guess now we'll yeah. talk about another movie. 
Thank you, Christopher Nolan. You didn't piss me off this time. You think he'll piss you off again in the future? What's his next movie going to be? Interstellar Z. Interstellar Z? What? Stellar, stellar. Rock the cellars. Interstellar Z. I don't know what his next movie is going to be. They don't. I, he hasn't decided or it hasn't been announced yet. So who knows? Who knows? Just don't talk about the power of love when you're trying to make a scientific movie and you'll be good, Nolan. Just, just don't be an idiot. Okay, what's the next movie? Uh, we'll figure it out. Yeah. Welcome to Maga Maverick to Add Movies, the show where we talk smack about movies. Or we would talk smack about movies if they were actually bad. But, you know, I guess you can't trust the critics you rely on. I guess you can't trust that Rotten Tomato score even when that Rotten Splat is next to a movie title because sometimes they are dead wrong as they were with this movie Kingsman The Golden Circle the sequel to the 2014 Kingsman The Secret Service film based on the comics by Mark Miller which were probably not good but these films are good, and the first one was critically acclaimed, everyone loved it, and the second one, apparently not so much. It has mixed reception, as evidenced by a 50% on Rotten Tomatoes. And after seeing this movie, I do not understand why at all. Do you, we Lord? Yeah, I have absolutely no idea why this is getting such bad reviews. This film is amazing. It's great. I, I'm not sure if it's as good as the first one in some ways, but damn, those action scenes, if you if you go into this movie and you come out thinking that nothing was impressive, that was lame, you must have been up your own ass, because this movie had some awesome action. I don't know how you could say that the action in this movie was too over the top after seeing the first movie. Because it, it's just the same level of over the top. They even make fun of the fact how over-the-top some of the scenes are. And people are complaining about the pacing, that it was really slowly paced. Not it is a two-and-a-half-hour film, but I felt it went by pretty fast. Like, there's so much meat in here. Like, you have to get everything rolling. Like, setting up the villain, the new villain, the whole stuff with, uh... Getting getting back, uh... What's-his-face, uh... Harry? Yeah, Harry, yeah, Harry. Here, like Galahad, like getting him back in the fray and like all his like memory stuff. So if they had made this film shorter, I think it would have felt too rushed. I mean, they could have probably shortened up a few things. I do have criticisms of this movie, but I am really confused at why people are saying this is like too over the top. This feels like a cheap version of the first movie that was just focuses on spectacle. I mean, the original film was basically impressive for the spectacle. I mean, yes, there is more of a parody of Bond in the first one that I think is why critics latched onto it. Like, critics latched onto the fact that, hey, there are some very obvious subversions of Bond tropes in that first movie. And in this movie, 
it's more doing its own thing. Now, it doesn't need to do the Bond tropes and, like, point out it's subverting those anymore. Now it can do its own thing. And I guess now that it's doing its own thing, people are unimpressed with that. They're not, they don't care about spectacle, these critics. But, you know, even critics that I think I usually agree with, like Brad Jones, did not care for this movie. And a lot of these critics that I have heard opinions of this movie before, you know, criticized it for being so over the top. They thought that the robot dogs were ridiculous. They thought that the statesmen were ridiculous. I don't understand it. Yeah, I mean, like, they are over the top. It's like, okay, how is this any more over the top than the heads exploding like fireworks in the first movie, or like, all, like, the weird over-the-top scenes with the one girl who has the, like, literal sword legs. Yeah, I don't know how robot dogs and a guy with a mechanical hand are more over-the-top than the girl with sword legs. That seems actually <laughs> like a step down in absurdity to me, if you ask me. Yeah, I mean, like, Jesus. <laughs> I don't know how anyone could this think this movie is more over-the-top than the first one, when the climax of the first movie are it's a bunch of people's heads literally exploding into fireworks. Yeah. President Obama's head literally explodes into fireworks in the first movie. Yeah. I don't understand uh, a lot of these criticisms. Now, is this movie like flawless? <laughs> of course not. I do think it's a little too long. I think that there are very superfluous elements. My biggest criticism is probably the character of Whiskey, whose whole heel face turn at the end felt very forced. It's like, I guess we needed another action scene. But the plot was resolved. And look, the action scene was awesome. (laughs) I loved it. But narratively, I thought it was kind of a waste of time. And also a waste of an interesting character. For like, no reason but to establish that Harry still had some spy instincts left in it. Well, at least he'll be served well in that meat grinder. Yes. Oh, man. The villain in this movie, she's not as good as Samuel L. Jackson as Valentine, but Julianne Moore's Poppy Adams is still very delightful in how charming and obedient she is and, like, her love of 50s culture like, her base of operations literally being, like, a diner, and, like, she has this old 50 shanty town, like, set up in, like, a remote mountain region in the middle of nowhere called Poppyland. It's pretty great. I do think that, uh, that I mean, she had a great establishing scene. You know, she's meeting with the, a new agent. She forces him to kill, like, the agent who brought him in and put him into a meat grinder. <laughs> and then he, she forces him to eat a hamburger made out of the guy he killed. It's I was like, what such a great <laughs> villain introduction scene that just, wow, okay, she is messed up and hardcore and dangerous and yeah, awesome. But... Just like Valentine. But I don't think that she's as charismatic as Valentine, but she was a fun villain all the same. I think yeah. her death was a lot lamer than Valentine's, though. Like, Valentine got his subordinates 
uh, sword leg, like, stabs through him and then got a really cool closing line. And then in this film, uh, the villain ODs, which is ironic because she's a drug dealer. I, I get the irony, but it, it's not as satisfying as Valentine's Day, the first movie. Yeah. What I really enjoyed was the romantic subplot between Eggsy and Princess Till. Till was the girl that he had sex with at the end of the first movie. Anal sex. Yeah, the infamous anal sex scene. Um, you know, I just watched the first Kingsman movie like a day before I went to see Golden Circle. And the biggest thing I heard about that movie before watching it was that anal sex line. And I'm like, when I was watching the movie, I was like, that's it? That, that's... It was kind of like an awkward line delivery, but it wasn't that interesting to me. I don't know. Maybe I guess I don't find anal sex that weird, but whatever. Yeah, I- I'm surprised you hadn't seen this, like, the first movie before. Right? I just missed it. I wasn't going to movies every week back in 2014 like I'm doing now. Mm. But I really enjoyed the first movie, and... Watching Golden Circle a day later, it felt like a great extension of that first movie. It felt like a sequel that builds on top of it, because we have a returning antagonist established in the first movie in Charlie, the asshole agent who failed the Kingsman training, and had served briefly as a subordinate of Valentine that got knocked out by Eggy at the end of the first movie. He returns in this, and he's like a big threat. They have a great opening car chase scene that really establishes, like, the a great action scene. And also, it ties into the plot because he's, like, the main subordinate of Poppy in this film. Mm. So, he's not, like, a great character, but, like, they built off of him really well. Mm. In terms of his establishment in the first movie, I didn't recognize him. Like, it's the same actor, but, like... They really sold him he how he has transformed as a different person from the more like regal upper class yeah. like he was in the first movie. Now he definitely looks like more of a you know gang member like, kind of guy. Like I kind of I honestly for, completely forgot about him like until like we rewatched the like the first movie yesterday. Mm. But like yeah, like he they made him a lot more distinct in this movie. Yeah, I thought. That he was played by a different actor in this movie, but no, it's the same actor. Again, yeah. they did a good job of transforming him into a different person, even though he's, like, the same character. Yeah, he has a bit more stubble now, he shaved his hair, it's like he's transformed, he's le- he's not like a snooty rich boy anymore. Yeah. He's gone hardcore, hardcore! He wasn't wearing a sweater, but he was still pretty hardcore. Yeah. I do love that this movie just builds off of characters and developments made in the first movie. Again, the relationship between Eggsy and Tilde is like a big subplot in this movie. It comes up a lot, and it's a lot of the dramatic tension at the climax of this movie. It's like, will Eggsy get the cure in time to save the love of his life? Mm. And the title, Golden Circle not only reflects the criminal organization, but the wedding ring that he gives to Till at the end of the movie during their wedding. Brilliant! Yeah, that's a really nice touch. It is. 
And so I really liked that subplot. It felt like a real relationship. Like, he even calls her to, like, ask her permission before he has sex with someone. And ultimately, he doesn't have sex with that person because, you know, he's loyal. He's a loyal boyfriend. Yeah, he, he just puts his finger in that badge and then just gets out. Yeah, that's certainly not something you see every day. A camera going through a woman's vagina. Uh, I had heard about this scene before in Monkey Jones's review, but it, it definitely did not prepare me for it. But it was also not as exploitative as I had been. That high qual, that high quality CGI vagina interior. Yeah, but that was definitely the point in the movie where the audience was mostly comfortable. But I will say that overall, in our theater, the audience was pretty full. The theater was pretty full. And most people seemed to be enjoying the movie for the most part. They were laughing. There was people clapping at the end. So I think audiences are responding to this movie more positively. At least the audiences that, you know, are in our area. Because this movie is still being shown during many showtimes. And you, at our theater, if a movie isn't doing well, they're gonna dramatically cut the show times. So the fact that there's still like several dozen, a dozen show times during the day definitely means that this movie is performing well over here. There yeah. is a sold out showing. Yeah, the, the, show, the show times are selling out or getting still. close to selling out. And this movie was released two weeks ago at the time of this recording. So that should tell you that this movie is pretty popular with audiences, at least in certain areas. So I think that, you know, even with middling critical reception, it's doing well in the box office. It's going to gross a good bit, and I think that we'll get that third movie, which I hope we do. Yeah, it's it's already broken past breaking even. Mm-hmm. So at the, le- at the very least, they're going to make a profit. They might It might not do as well as the first film, but I think it's still going to do well enough that it's going to justify that third film. Right. Overall, to round off my compliments in this movie, I just thought that, you know, all the action scenes were really well done, and just all the fun elements were really great. Uh, one thing I want to note is that there's a very obvious Trump analog in this movie, and it just makes me wonder why Matthew Vaughn said, oh, I, I didn't want to get too political and include, like, uh, Trump in this film. Like, this is the thing. there's like, an obvious stand in for Trump in this film. Like, this is the thing, too. It's like, in the first film, it's not like they showed Obama's face. You don't have to they show did it. Yeah, you don't have to show Trump's face, then. Just have a guy with, like, a really blonde, like, wig, and, like, just show his back the entire time, and him being, like, a fucking asshole. Yeah. Yeah. You- I think that because the president is such a much more active character in this movie, they needed to show his face. So if it was Trump, it would be like, you know, a little too on the nose. And I feel like his subordinate, the one who does the drugs and gets chipped off to like the containment camp where everyone is in cells <laughs> and stacked on top of each other in a football stadium. I think that she was supposed to be an obvious stand-in for Hillary. So, like, the ending of the movie oh, where yeah. she impeaches <laughs> the she, she president becomes, and yeah. becomes the new president. She I has, think like, that's the same a, hair as Hillary, too. Yeah, I think so it's, it's an obvious yeah. uh, reference to Trump and Hillary. And uh, the idea is Hillary impeaches Trump and becomes the new president. <laughs> so, oh, that, was, that was amusing. They didn't, like, explicitly, you know, make those characters mean that or look like that, but... It was pretty obvious subtext. 
pretty yeah. obvious illusions that got a kick out of me. The president was hilarious. <laughs> like, because he's like, yeah, I'm going to kill all the druggies. <laughs> Screw them. And he, he makes a fake deal with Poppy. Like, he, Poppy thinks that she, he's going to, like, you know, give into her to man to legalize drugs and then she'll release all the uh, antidotes. But he's like, nah, I'm not going to sign it. Fuck them. Haha, <laughs> that stupid bitch. <laughs> he's just such a over-the-top asshole. <laughs> and he's he like, gives, like, zero shit. He's just like, yeah, we're, we're just going to let him die. I oh, secretary, him. You, you're... You're infected. Oh, we're we're just gonna put you with the rest of them. Have fun. So it's your own fault good. for taking the drugs. So funny. Yeah, he, again, it's obvious he was supposed to be drunk. Yeah. <laughs> so funny. Yeah, I really enjoyed that. One thing I'm not really sure I enjoyed was the movie's treatment of certain characters. I think it was a real waste to kill off Roxy Lancelot in this yeah, movie. I don't know like... why she was killed off. It seemed, like, really wasteful. Like, yeah. she was, like, a useful character, but she gets killed off to establish dramatic stakes, I guess? I don't know, because I think killing JB was enough. JB was, like, the... <laughs> just killing off JB was enough to get make me sad for and feel for Eggsy. Like, JD, JB and his friend Brandon. You didn't need to kill Roxy. She could have still been in this movie. Like... I'm pretty sure he's more broken up about JB dying than Roxy. So it's like, I don't know why you bother killing her off. She could have done stuff. She she could have made a sacrifice later in the movie after doing stuff. I don't know why you kill her off in such a flippant manner. Yeah. She wasn't a bad character. Or at least she wasn't a useless character. Yeah. I also I had a problem with uh, Merlin's death. Right? I had a problem with it. In the sense that, you know, I like Merlin as a character a lot, so I was really, you know, disappointed that, oh, they're going to kill him off? But what sells it for me is just this send-off scene, singing Old Country Home as the guards are closing in on him, and then, like, stepping up just at the right moment so that he gets all of them in the mine's bomb range. Yeah. It's just, that was such a great send-off. It yeah. Had such a... Great build-up. It's such a good scene that it sold it for me. And I was like, okay, this is a good way to send off a really good character. I'm fine with this. Yeah, I, I like that part of it. But I just don't like how it was instigated. Well, like, it's just like, uh, Eggsy just stepping on the landmine even before they even start the combat. But the landmine thing was set up in several scenes before. Yeah. There's been, there have been several references to the fact that there were landmines. So that's payoff on that, you know? Yeah, definitely. So I I enjoyed that. I, I thought that was smart. Yeah, I mean, personally, I just think, like, maybe once the combat started and then Exit suddenly steps on the landmine, I think I would have, like, been more fine with it. But then there'd be no time to, like, do that maneuver of freezing yeah. Exit's foot. The whole point is, like, to get rid of the guards mm. so that... Eggsy and Harry could break in with, more easily. So right. Merlin did a great role and, like, smart thing to do what he did. Yeah. It's a great sacrifice. Great sacrificial moment. Yeah, the sacrifice itself, I like. Yeah. And the statesmen themselves, I don't know if they were really... See, the most interesting one of them was Whiskey. 
He was cool with his, like, electric whip and stuff. But the other two, they were kind of forgettable. I mean, I mean, one of them is basically under the poison drugs for most of the film, so he's out of commission to kill it. And then the other one, Ginger Ale, you know, she has sort of, she doesn't really have an arc. Like, they establish that, oh, she wants to be an agent, but Whiskey won't let her for some reason. They don't really explain why Whiskey won't let her be an agent. Yeah. At all. Like, he's not working with the president. He's not, like, actively, like, trying to sabotage, you know, the statesman. It's just in this one instance, his, his motivations align with that of the president's in killing off all the drug users. So, I don't understand why he was so against making Ginger Ale an agent. I don't understand, like, that relationship at all. Yeah. So I don't know. Ginger Ale becomes a new whiskey at the end of the film, which is whatever. I mean, good for her, but like she wasn't given that much of an arc. She wasn't that interesting a character. It kind of felt like they wanted to do more with tequila, but tequila just like kind of doesn't do much because it turns out like he was taking the drugs and like. He was whatever. I mean, he had this one fight scene where he fought Eggsy and Merlin, but then, yeah, again, he, that's, after that, he's taken out for most of the movie. Yeah. I think it would have been better if, like, Whiskey was the first one they interacted with. Yeah. Rather than bringing they, tequila. I mean, the, uh, having tequila be subject to the Blue Rash is motivation for the statesmen to, like, really get involved, I guess. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I just think they shouldn't have made Tequila a villain and killed him off. I think whiskey that... a villain? Whiskey, yeah. Yeah. I I think it was a waste of an interesting character. I don't... I'm again, they could have had, like, that fight scene, maybe, with some other character. They didn't need to have Whiskey, like, betray them and force... Extend the conflict past his expiration date. Wouldn't it have been just much more cool if, like, they killed Poppy with the meat grinder. You know? <laughs> oh, God. That would have been just as entertaining. Oh, God. It would have been just as satisfying as Valentine's Dead in the first movie, I would think. But, you know, I, I guess they didn't want to do anything with Whiskey past this movie. Again, it's like a shame. Whiskey's like whole role in this movie, I feel, is just completely wasted. It's a subplot that really should have been reconsidered, because I don't think it's satisfying at all. Like, the character had a lot more potential than what he ultimately was. Yeah. At least his final fight was cool. Yeah, it was a cool fight scene, but again, it also felt like a pointless fight scene, because the main villain was dead at that point. Yeah. It's just like staying in the movie for another five, ten minutes or whatever, so... Again, in that respect, I do think the movie was longer than it needed to be because the central conflict like ends at several times and they just keep extending it artificially. Like, honestly, it probably would have made more sense for Whiskey to work for Poppy and then have the Whiskey fight before they like kill Poppy. No, I, I just don't think Whiskey should have been a villain. 
I think that. Well, no, I'm, I'm not, I agree with you, but if they were gonna go with this route, they should have had him actually just working for Poppy, and then have the fight before they kill Poppy. But his motivations makes more sense if he's just doing it for his own interest rather than actually being being aligned with Poppy or being aligned with the president. Because if he's aligned with Poppy, then why is he killing off Poppy's goons? Again, you know, that wouldn't make any sense. So they did a smart thing by having him, like, not be affiliated with anyone, but just, you know, making sure the druggies die because he has a big prejudice and hatred of drug users for, you know, the fact that two meth heads were responsible for his wife and infant child dying. Mm-hmm. You know, that's where, yeah, again, Whiskey just shouldn't have been a villain <laughs> at all. But, again, I think that it was very strange that they destroyed the entire Kingsman organization and everyone died, but... I guess it sets up that they might be able to introduce new Kingsmen in the next one. Because, yeah, like, they killed off... If they killed off Merlin and Roxy, which were, admittedly, the only two, other two Kingsmen who were, like, important, you know, you need two more characters to replace them at the very least. It seemed like they were pushing Tequila as the new one at the end, because he comes over to England in, like, his fancy, like, top hat and suit. But he comes over with the other statesmen to attend the wedding. It's not like yeah, he becomes a member true. of the statesmen. So I don't, I wouldn't read that into it. Especially since they're planning to make a statesman spinoff film, or at the very least Matthew Vaughn is interested in doing that. So I don't think that they'd have like the only statesman who we like know anything about, like join the Kingsman. Because then who would be the star of the statesman film? That's true. I was very confused about one thing, and that is Arthur. Like, he's barely in this movie, but in the first movie, Arthur was killed off because he tried to poison Eggsy, but Eggsy switched the teacups, so he drank the poison instead. And then in this movie, there's an Arthur's back, I guess? It's not Arthur. That's a different character. It's a different Arthur, I guess. It's, it's not even him. Do no, they, they even, call him Arthur. Do they call him Arthur? They call him Arthur. I think that's his code name. Yeah, it's his code name. But they have a new Arthur. And I guess it just, they look too similar, so I was very confused. They didn't really look similar. Like, this guy has a fatter head. <laughs> okay. They just look like old guys. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> he looked different to me. I don't know. I guess he did look okay. Yeah. I guess, look, look, comparing them side by side, I guess they do look. But at the time, as I was confused, are they just as to whether they were the same character? No, it's a different guy. All right. Well, that was one confusing thing. Clear it up then. Yeah. Overall, I just don't understand most of the criticisms of this movie. I mean, I understand a lot of the criticisms of this movie. I don't understand like people really disliking it though. Like I found it fun. I the first. Kingsman was just good, dumb, like, action spy thriller stuff. And this is the same thing. And, like, the, the appeal of these movies to me are the over-the-top action spectacle and fun comedy and characters. And I enjoyed a lot of the humor in this movie. I enjoyed a lot of the action in this movie. So, to me, it's just as fun as the first movie. I don't think it's, like, any dumber. 
We forgot to talk about Elton John, who is amazing in this oh, movie. God, Elton yeah, he, John. He, he is actually a character. He participates in the fight scenes toward the end. He helps out Harry, like, defeat a robot dog. They, together, they smash it with bowling balls. It's awesome. Yeah. And he even attends the wedding of Eggsy and Dild at the end. So it's like, yeah. he's such a great character. He had a great subplot in this Can movie. Can we make Elton John a Kingsmith? <laughs> Hopefully, maybe. I, I really enjoyed him in this movie. I wasn't expecting him because for some reason, I don't know, maybe I blanked the fact that he's in this movie out when I was listening to the other reviews, but. Uh-huh. It, it was a real treat. I well, one, one thing I do want to say is like, the trailers for this movie did a very good job Hiding, like, any real information about what was going on. Yeah, the only thing that I got from the trailers was the fact that Kingston was destroyed. I didn't realize anything else about the plot. You didn't realize Harry was alive? That that was the big thing everyone took away from the trailer, that Harry's alive. Yeah, I mean, I didn't <laughs> see the first film, so I didn't have any context for that. Yeah, I mean, but from the way they make that trailer, it almost makes it seem like Harry's the villain. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, it ends, the trailer ends with the scene of Merlin and Exy, like, looking and saying, yeah. my god. When Ex- except Harry. it's framed in such a way that you can think, like, oh, maybe they're, like, have a spy camera in his, like, room or something, and they're, like, watching him. I love how there's such classy music in that trailer, too. Yeah. Like, it's, they're presenting it as it's this really classy Bond film, but it's like this really, like, uh, very modern. I don't want to say trashy, but it's definitely, like, juvenile in terms of certain, in certain respects, uh, action film. Yeah. And it's super fun. With its spectacle and its humor. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I would definitely recommend it if you enjoy the first one. Maybe you won't enjoy it as much as the first one. I definitely think it has more problems than the first one. And it's not as, like, fresh a take, I guess, on the Bond tropes. Because it's not trying to do that again. But it's uh, still a fun, dumb action movie. And that's what I wanted, and that's what I got. So, (laughs) I Go for the meat grinders. Go for the meat grinders. Yeah. Honestly, this is one of my favorite films of the year in terms of just overall enjoyment. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so don't always believe the critics or Rotten Tomatoes because maybe you'll enjoy the movie better than them. <laughs> maybe they're full of hot air in the criticisms. Yep. It's like you have nothing to contribute. You, do, you don't have any great zingers to close off any of these, do you? I guess. Why, why do you always pressure me? I want the co-host who is better at conversation. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Like, like you said, yeah, go go watch this movie. Great action flick. If you enjoy the first one, you're probably gonna enjoy this, hopefully. Or at least, like, gets, you're, you're not gonna hate it. It's not like, this is like, Thor 1 or something, or like, <laughs> the Iron Man films. This is, this is some good shit. Yeah.
Welcome to Magamaric's at Movies, the show where we talk smack about movies that were taken to scene by the family. Yup, it was, uh... Movies we knew nothing about, we went in with no expectations, and came out saying, yeah, we probably should have looked at the reviews first. Why, why don't they look at the reviews? I don't know. To be fair, it does have a fresh rating on RT. What, what, how fresh? 69% fresh. That's, it's not super That's not fresh. very fresh. No, it isn't. And honestly, I think it should be rotten. Yeah, it's uh, pretty... To be fair, it's not a bad movie in terms of its filmmaking. It's actually a well-made movie. It's got good performances, but the message... Oh boy, this is the most problematic film I've seen Hash- since Wind River. Hashtag the British did nothing wrong. Yeah, this movie sure was a romanticized portrayal of British colonialism. Which movie are we talking about, you're asking? Why, Victoria and Abdul, of course. What was interesting about this movie that made our fam want to see it is, of course, it's about the relationship between Queen Victoria and her Indian Muslim servant, Abdul Karim. Of course, that would be an interesting premise. What could a movie about that relationship have to say about the colonialist consequences of British's rule over India? Spoiler, nothing. Absolutely nothing. This was like a rom-com about Queen Victoria and her servant from India. Except it was a weirdly sexist rom-com. Yeah. Weirdly sexless. Uh, Obviously, there's no real-life confirmation that the two actually had a sexual relationship. In fact, by all accounts, it was very mutterly. She saw Abdul as kind of a son figure. But at the same time, it's very questionable in the movie what the relationship is because they play upon rom-com cliches. Yeah. Like, there is this scene where this German opera singer is, like, telling Victoria of a story about two star-crossed lovers, and she get perks up, and, like, we see both Victoria and Abdul in the frame, and it's, like, implying subtext there that, oh, these two are in love. And then there's a scene later on where Abdul is, like, confessing his love to Victoria almost, it seems. That's how the movie is framing it. Again, it's such mixed messages. Yeah. It's also creepy, because, like, the queen's, like, way fucking older than him. Way older than him. He's, like, she's, like, 60 years older than him. Yeah. Yeah, it is really odd that they decided to frame this at a romantic light at all, because, by all accounts, it was not Romantic. It was platonic, and it was like mother and son kind of relationship, by the accounts of the journals themselves. Mm. What's interesting about the movie, actually, is that this is the second film about Queen Victoria having an affair with a servant starring Judi Dench as Queen Victoria. In 1997, there was a film called Mrs. Brown, which was about Victoria's relationship with her servant, John Brown. And John Brown is mentioned several times in this movie as well. And 
Abdul is compared to him a lot. It's almost like this movie is an unofficial sequel to that movie that was made 20 years ago. It's very strange. (laughs) It's weird. Especially since, chronologically, it would only be four years after John Brown's death that Victoria met Abdul. Well, in real life, it's been 20 years since that movie and this movie. So, mm. so that was kind of strange. But Judy Dench was great as Queen Victoria. Honestly, her performance elevates this entire movie because everyone else is pretty whatever. Funny. Like even the Indian guy, he's Indian guy. Well, Indian guy's performance was uh, pretty mad. Yeah, he's he just plays it as an Indian. I, th- guy. I think they just picked up with whatever like fucking Indian guy they could find in the UK. Like, hey, you're Indian, you know? We'll we'll just take you. Yeah. To be fair, I think this guy has more of a filmography than that. Yeah, probably. I'm just saying that Judy Dench's performance is the standout one here. That's what carries this film. I think that is like the only thing that makes this film even remotely watchable is like her performance because yeah. she is funny. She is, like, heartbreaking when she needs to be. She is a great actress, and she portrays this role with a lot of the dignity and vulnerability that it requires. She sells the movie. Mm. And everyone else, when it's not about her, when she's not on screen, they are not interesting. Pretty much. Especially Abdul, who is played by Ali Fazal. He is not... Very interesting a character. He's like a cookie cutter as fuck. Yeah, he's just this nice. He's the nice. He's nice generic Indian guy. This movie is really not about him, even though the movie is called Victoria and Abdul. He's barely. It's more like Victoria and fucking Indian blob. (laughs) Yeah, like Victoria has a lot of agency. She does a lot in this movie, but what does Abdul do other than like be there there to? listen to her and dance with her like he doesn't do really anything he doesn't really have an arc of his own he's just like he's an uncle tom basically Basically, he's just there to serve his great british white mistress they make an uncle tom joke in the movie itself but like and i feel like this is something that the movie really misses is that just because you make a joke that is self-aware doesn't mean that you are actually being self-aware, you know? Yeah. Because it plays its trope so straight, even down to misunderstandings, which did not happen. None of the misunderstandings <laughs> in this movie happened. At all. Yeah. By no accounts did, like, any of these events, like the staff... Planning to protest Queen Victoria knighting Abdul. None of that happened at all. Most of the events in this movie didn't happen. And to be fair, the movie opened up saying, inspired by true events, mostly. What it really means is that, yeah, Yeah, we just made a fucking bullshit script. Exactly. Here, give us money. Fuck you. Even the reason Abdul went to England in the first place is completely different. Completely different. He wasn't there to present any mahor or anything. He was, like, chosen to be, like, a just a servant and uh help Victoria address Indian princes at a banquet. 
Like he was, he went there to be a servant. And he befriended Queen Victoria after he made curry for her, chicken curry. She liked the chicken curry so much and that's why she kept him around. And then, you know, they became even bigger friends and she asked him to teach uh, her Urdu and all that. But like in the film, the reason is he's handsome and he kissed her feet. What? Yeah, that's, uh, they really want to push those rom-com elements. Yeah, again, it's this weird <clears throat> fantasy power stuff. Like, I think this movie is aimed towards older women who fantasize the about having a, a young, young ethnic, uh, <laughs> servant lover boy. God damn. <laughs> it's like, this is so fucking it's dumb. It's like, uh, Older women's power fantasy. Uh, fuck this film. Uh, the most problematic elements, of course, is this historical whitewashing or like historical like uh, sanitizing of British colonialism and the effects it had on India. Because in here, it's just presented as, oh, this is a barrier to these two being together. But uh, no, British colonialism was very traumatic and very devastating on India. And it's very offensive that this movie ends saying that, oh, Abdul died eight years after leaving Queen Victoria. And then in 1947, Britain gained indep- India gained independence from Britain. And it's like, wow, you spent this entire movie saying, oh, how great this relationship between Victoria and Abdul is, and how sympathetic Victoria is. And then you're ending and saying, India got independence from Britain, and, like, the way you're framing it in this movie is that it is a bad thing, because the relationship between Victoria and Abdul is mother and son, it, that's, like, a reflection of England and India familiar relationship, right? And you're trying to imply that see, those see, relationships see, are similar. See. No! That's the subtext, <laughs> Lord! That's what's problematic about I'm it! arguing it, but you know what this is really a sign of? White privilege! Yeah, it is a sign of that, too. But you can't just reduce it down to that simple a joke, we Lord. It's even more problematic, the I subtext. Know. I, I know. How it's trying to justify colonialism and the matriarch of that colonial system and its devastating effects on India through this sanitized, romanticized view of this relationship. Painting that, oh, everyone else was racist except for Queen Victoria. Even though in the movie itself, she knew nothing about India, despite being quote-unquote empress of India. She didn't even know about who was responsible for the uprising? Yeah, okay, the uprising thing got me pissed off because they're like, oh, the Indians killed all the British people. You fucking killed like a ton of them. You enslaved them. Basically. What are you expecting? Oh, oh, we killed some of your soldiers. Well, fuck you. You were the guys who enslaved because of course we're going to kill you. Yeah. You actually expect us to have sympathy for you? Fuck you. Yeah. No, it's just British people being fucking assholes. And it's so easy was she willing to turn on him when she found out that Muslims were the ones who it's were like... involved in the riot. Like, yeah, maybe it was Muslims who were rioting, but not all Muslims rioted, right? Not all, you can't lump so. an entire group of people 
into being at fault for something. Clearly, he was not involved in that. Clearly. Yeah, I mean... In this film, Abdul also really lies about a lot of weird things and that's just glossed over. But, like, there's no reason for him to do that. In real life, Abdul was educated. Abdul was the son of a hospital assistant. You know, he had a good education. He had qualifications enough. He didn't nearly need to lie about anything. Basically, yeah. I mean... There were no need for misunderstanding. They pretty much rewrote this to just be a power fantasy. Yeah. Or, yeah kind of an offensive women. power fantasy. Yeah, again, it sanitizes and romanticizes yeah. British colonialism. That's Which a, I guess is made thing. by British people, so they, and they don't want to admit that they did anything wrong. I mean, <laughs> it's not really made by British people, though. Isn't it a BBC production? Oh. Yeah, it is BBC. My mistake. Yeah, it's uh, it gets distributed by Universal Pictures in the UK. Yeah. Okay. So it is. Yeah. I guess again, this is like if you made a film about Thomas Jefferson and his relationship with a black slave, <laughs> and his affair with uh, one of his black slaves, or Andrew Jackson of the Native Americans. Yeah. It's this is exactly analogous to that. You're 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 making a love story. Out of a very problematic and historically damaging thing that happened. Oh, Pocahontas, that's an obvious comparison. Like, like literally, like it just portrays, comes off as like, oh, England did nothing wrong. India deserved to be, like, taken over. It was yeah, a good movie. The movie is such like... as, as a, and a fact that, oh, uh, India was ruled by the British. That was, the way things were. Weren't they great? No, they weren't great. No. They have this one straw man who's saying, fuck you, British people. You are enslaving us. But he's presented like as a comic relief character. And then he no just one takes dies him seriously. Off. And then they just kill him off. So it's like he's portrayed in the wrong. He only has a moment of sympathy when he's like saying, I hope that Abdul and Victoria... You know, continue to cause problems for you. But the way the movie frames that is because they, the uh, Victoria's, like, servants, inner circle people, are trying to interfere with their relationship. And only then is Mohammed saying, oh, uh, fuck you guys. They should leave them be. But it's like, it's not about the colonialism at that point. It's just about the relationship. Yeah. So, so bad. So bad. So so much bad subtext. It didn't make me as mad as Wind River. Because Wind yeah. River is like... Wind River is just white privilege at its core. Straight male power fantasy with the Native yeah. Americans as an expense. The, this movie and is... It, the, and Wind River... And what really pissed me off about Wind River was that I was trying to say it had a message. Oh, it's, yeah, I was trying to like have that like saying, Native American women... Uh, aren't reported missing and that this is an issue. No, yeah, uh, it was trying know. to say that it had a deeper message, but it's like the way it presented everything was just so Wind River is a generic Wind River is a generic revenge story with white power fantasy. Yeah. Native Americans can't protect themselves. They can't avenge their yes, own Yes, the white man. No, only the white like, man who has to save the day. The white man is the only one who knows the land well enough. F off. 
Man, yeah, movies like this. Yeah. Again, I understand that the intentions behind this movie were harmless, but when you co- when you completely change the actual story and you completely remove details that you know would have been fine enough to present in this movie, like why couldn't Queen Victoria have liked Abdul after eating chicken curry he made, right? Th- that was the reason. Now, Honestly, why would you need to change these... it to? Her finding him handsome and then him kissing her feet and because, all this weird power say, say, fantasy. Say because chicken curry would be too ethnic for American and uh, British audiences. I don't so know. whitewashed. So laying down to just not offend anybody. What's a chicken curry? I only eat steak. <laughs> I mean, they make a point of mentioning... Indian foods, but do we actually ever see Queen Victoria eat them? No. no. She never even eats a mango, because the mango is rotten. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's so weird. What? Were they scared of having her eat Indian food? <laughs> Eating weird food? Did they think that the white, old white women watching this would get offended? <laughs> I wonder, like, if you showed this to an Indian that lives in the UK, because there are a lot of Indians in the UK... How they would react I'm to this sure movie. I'm sure that they would react the same way our family yeah. did, thinking that, oh, wow, that was uh, bullshit. Yeah, it's like, huh. I, our dad was, shit. like, laughing at how bad the movie was. It was like, fuck, it's bad. Yeah. Like, so this movie was completely made up. It's not reflective of the true story at all. It barely resembles the real thing. Some events... Our sorta happened in real life. Most of them didn't. Most of it is just made up rom com bullshit, though. Yep. Victoria and Abdul is definitely not a good movie. It's a very problematic movie too, and that is why you shouldn't watch it. White privilege. White privilege. White privilege. White privilege. No, we're gonna move on to the next thing now. White privilege. That does it for this episode of Among America's at Movies. Long overdue, but finally we brought it to you. And hopefully in the weeks ahead, we will bring you the rest of the at Movies backlog alongside the slew of other podcasts I recorded and have not released yet because I procrastinated and I am busy with so many things. But in the meantime, you can wait for the new episodes of Ad Movies and all the other podcasts of the Manga Mavericks brand by subscribing to our YouTube channel, YouTube slash C slash Manga Mavericks. You can follow us on Twitter, at Manga underscore Mavericks on Twitter. Uh, you can follow us on Tumblr at MangaMavericks.tumblr.com. You can follow your hosts of At Movies, Lum Ramiyasha, which is I, Lum Ramiyasha. You can follow me at Lum Ramiyasha on Twitter. You can follow WheelerGTC at WheelerGTC on Twitter. And you can find us on Animation Revelation, Annie List, all the places that we're at. You can find us under those names. And, of course, you can find the podcast reliably on all-comic.com, which hosts us. And, yeah, basically visit all-comic and follow all-comic on Twitter. So, there you go. That does it for this episode of Manga Marks at Movies and we will see you next time. Hopefully, it will not be Monster now, but 
That is the ad movies experience. Sayonara!